On the Bidji, cross the Mallee, in the Pilbara, round the valley, they're waking up with Macca. You know, the first thing I thought of when you said that camel milk, I think there's another coffee, a camel, a camel milk latte. Do they do those? I haven't heard of them. But yeah, they call them camel chinos. Camel chinos. <laughs> I'm sure we could arrange it, but at the moment a lot of our milk goes off to Melbourne and Sydney and Canberra and we send a, a bit over to Singapore as well. We do them in one litre bottles and it often flies on a plane straight over to Singapore. Funnily enough, we can get our milk on the shelves in Singapore quicker than we can get it on the shelves in Sydney. Viva la difference with a, with a camel, eh? What do they like to milk? Look, they come to us wild. They come out of the, the centre of Australia and we have a very uh, gentle way of training them. They're lovely animals. Even when we have staff come in and we talk about the way we train them and the do's and don'ts and they'll say to me six months later oh Megan I thought you were just you know having me on when you said this and you said that and they realised you know it's it's quite rewarding to see a camel willingly walk in and and just stand there while you milk her when once if she had a choice she probably would have ran away. You know if you're being friendly to a camel their breath's not not a problem but if they're upset they can regurgitate they chew their cud and um and if that comes flying out at you that's um Sounds nice, doesn't it, kids? <laughs> that's, um, you need a shower, that's for sure. <laughs> Wait all week for Macca on a Sunday morning. They've been carting water, feeding sheep, and chopper pilots don't get much sleep. We won't forget this smoky, long, hot summer. The family's scattered all around Oz, but that don't matter on Sunday because we're all together, Australians, on Sunday morning. I start my week with Macca on Sunday morning. Uh, good morning and welcome to the program wherever you are. I'm just talking to the out of control room. Yeah, as I say, I want to get out to the harvest time where all the trucks come in and load their wheat. That's what I'd love to do. I'll try and do it next week. But if you, you've got an idea where there'll be, it's all happening, I'll come out there. Um, I'll get in the vehicle and come out there. Uh, 1300 700 222 in a minute. We'll talk to Jeff. G'day, this is Macca. Hi, Macca. It's Margot from Nuringaningalook. From Nuringaningalook, of course. How yeah. are you, Margot? I'm good, Macca. I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about harvest. Uh-huh. Yep. So um, this year harvest has been, well, not very good at all for us. We've had um, not as bad for, you know, like we're not as bad as off as other people, but we've had three or four floods come down the Broken Creek and wipe out about 30% of our crops. Uh-huh. So um, we've year to date we've had 536 mils of rain. So um, 230 mils fell in September and October. We've had no sunshine. So the bees haven't pollinated the faba beans enough. And then because the faba beans are so dense, the humidity has brought more disease into the bean, and we couldn't get on to spray them. So then the beans aren't um, controlled spraying and everything like we normally do so they haven't yielded as well and we had the aerial sprayers come in and they sprayed a couple of times which we were very grateful we were able to get them but it still wasn't enough for us so um, not a lot of the wheat has been harvested as yet and we haven't we've started on the canola but we haven't harvested much of that either. So, Margot tell everybody around Australia where Naringaningaluk is. In between Namurka and Katamatite on the Broken Creek. <laughs> That's not telling them where it is. You're going to say, oh, it's near Sydney or it's near Melbourne. Australians don't know anything. We don't know. Uh, 
Is it near Ballarat? North of Shepparton. North of Ship. Right. Yeah, near the Murray River. So um, we're, <laughs> yeah, we're south of Tokemal. And we didn't get a truck driver. <laughs> yeah, we, we did have one guy, but he was coming 10 hours away. So we're still working on that. So You still um, need a truck driver, do you? Oh, uh, well, we've got another guy down the end of the road. So we might be able to manage, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, it's been um, hard for us because we've had a new header as well and the new header's had teething problems, which luckily we didn't get rid of the old header, so um, we've been able to keep going. What sort, of, what sort of teething problems do you get on buying a new header? Uh, started off with a bolt broken Dear and idea. then the motor on the reel went last night. So um, we've got a really good little... Um, young guy, he's not very out, long out of his apprenticeship if he is and he came straight away and he changed the motor and he changed the bolt on Friday night so yeah, it's. Um, I got the header actually for my birthday, would you believe? <laughs> I know, it was a big O <laughs> present. I'm trying not and, to laugh I'm trying not to laugh Margot <laughs> I know, I know and guess what they said I could name it so I called her Princess Fiona Oh I see well, with a broken bolt. Yeah, 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 I know. The other one's Shrek. So we um just, yeah, Princess Fiona is Shrek. So, yeah. But anyway, um, Macca, the catamatite lions are holding a rodeo. Can I give them a plug? No way. When's that? Uh, When's that on? It's the 7th of January. All right. On, um, at the Makatar Reserve, which is another name that you won't know. The Makatar is another creek that runs through our properties. We know the Makatar. We know them. We've swum in the Makatar. I mean, come on, Margot. Um, <laughs> the Makatar, the Makatar Creek. What's that, what's that sort of a creek? What sort of a creek's that? It's a, like a drainage that goes to um, Nathalia. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, the one I see. Yeah, like a drainage that's type. And I... it comes from Yarrawonga. Yeah, so oh, anyway, God. it's the 7th of January. You can find them on Facebook, Catamatite Lions Rodeo. So um, my grandfather was actually a rodeo man and he had one of the best bulls, Eagle the Bull. So Bertie Hall, his name was. So I just thought, well, I'm here. I'll just give him a plug. Good on you, Margot. Um, um, yeah. All right. I might see you around the traps. I don't know if I'll get down to Naringa look. Um but, um, oh, you're welcome anytime. Is there is there a lot of do you get much wheat down there? Is there a lot of trucks coming in and dumping stuff at the you know at the dump site? If you know what I mean. Yeah, there is, especially in New America. Tokemall's a really big one because they've got two receival sites. Yeah, so our trucks are going to Toke. Yeah, so, well, that's all right. Um, I, might, I might go down to Toke. I might take. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Armstrong, my next guest, I might take him down there because he needs to get out. He needs to get out more. Oh, well, I'll come for coffee. All right. I'll give you a ring. We've got your number, haven't we? Yes, you do. Well, why, yeah. don't, why don't you drive Shrek or Fiona, Lady Princess Fiona down? No, no, she's too wide. <laughs> I might come in the truck with our son, though. Yeah, we can do some donuts. All right. That's that's what Hannah said this morning. We had uh, Gordon rang, uh, Matt rang from Gordon, and he's going to Tullamarine, take his son to watch the the um, uh, the planes take off. And um, and then Hannah rang a little later, and he said, "Look, don't go to that car because uh, in Tullamarine because they charge for it now and everything." He says, "Go to this other one, and not only that, there's a donut truck there." And he says, "I think it's open now." I mean, how good are people to ring up and say that? So, is there a donut truck at Toke? I bet there's not. 
No, but we have had um, a big queue. Was it Oakland? I think or oh, Wagga, and they ran pizzas out for all the truck drivers. Oh, I should have been there. See, that's <laughs> that's where everybody should be to experience Australia. I've, I've got to go, Mark. Nice to talk okay. to you. Okay. Talk. Thanks, say, say good day to that bloke in the background there. Who's he? Oh, Graham, here he is. Hey, young Macca. <laughs> I'm all right, Graham. Good on you, mate. I, I might see you in the weeks to come, but a bit of luck. No worries. I'll bring you a t- you. I'll bring you a t-shirt. Okay. Okay, that'd be fabulous. Thank you. See ya. Bye. Bye. Um, my guest this morning, uh, Jeff Armstrong. Good morning, Jeff. Sorry you had to wait. G'day, but... Macca. Now it's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, um, as I said, I've really enjoyed this book. I've, I'll tell you what I'm reading at the moment. Um, I'm reading, um, I'll tell you in a minute, where is it? But I've read your books, The Spirit of the Red V. One, it's, uh, ladies and gentlemen, it's about the St George Rugby League Club, which started in 1921, am I right? That's when they played the first game, yes. Yeah, and so your first book was from 1921 to 1967. And then uh, you... The second book's from 67 till now, sort of. Basically to now, till 2021. So it covers the first 100 years of the club. And you didn't write it, did you? It's an unkind thing I said. You wrote it during COVID. Some of it you did write in COVID, didn't you? I did. I started, it was a four four or five-year project. I mean, in one sense, it was a lifetime project because I've been a St George fan since I was collecting No, you're not a fan. You're a tragic. You're like John John Howard with cricket. You're a tragic, yes. But, But certainly, yeah, during COVID, locked in the room, just writing and researching about the footy club I love. It was great. Mm. And uh, I really enjoyed it. Um, uh, I suppose it's because um, I remember that club. I think football, everything, cricket, when you look around, has changed a lot and it certainly hasn't dragged me along with it. But um, that time, I suppose when you're younger, growing up, but football and cricket was a lot different. To, to, today it seems there's a lot of money involved. I didn't really hear... John Raper or Billy Smith talking about what money they were going or who they were going to transfer to, but that's all you hear now, isn't mm. it? It's about transfer fees and all that sort of stuff. But it was a different. The world's a different place. Absolutely. The thing you mentioned Yabba before, mm. the great cricket barracker, and he was a football barracker too. Mm. And he was asked one day, "Why didn't you ever barrack Victor Trump or Tibby Cotter?" And he said simply, "Because they were real cricketers." <laughs> and the thing about my book and the history of St George. And I think the history of rugby league, it's a story of real footballers. And the thing, when you become a footy fan, it's a leap of faith. You you know that the people you cheer for every week are great players. You don't know they're great people. And one of the joys of riding the club and getting involved with the club was to discover that men like Stephen Edge and Ted Goodwin and Craig Young and Graham Wynn, the heroes of my youth, are all wonderful people. And it's actually been... It's interesting because I've done a lot of work with cricketers and I don't think the cricketers of today have the same qualities of the great cricketers of the past. No, no. But I think the young footballers of today do. Mm. I've been very impressed by the, the, the couple of times that I've met the current St George squad. I think they're good people who love football. Um, they haven't had the results on the field, but I think they're committed to the Dragons and it actually fills me with hope that when I met the, the squad and the coach... Um, they're a good group. Well, that's probably applies right across the board to football, young footballers everywhere. And young people are, are wonderful these days, mm. I think. But the thing is that I mentioned before is sport, I've just realised, it brings out the best, you know, and, and my heroes are Dawn Fraser and Murray Rose and Herb Elliott and people like that mm. um, and many others, many, many others. But it also brings out the worst in people too. And, um, um, and that's... Uh, <laughs> 
I suppose, and crowd behaviour and things like that. And, and I don't know how you balance that up. I suppose we always have balanced it up and mm. it, it was ever thus. But writing this book, I really, I suppose because it was taking me back and I said, oh, yeah, oh, I remember him. I remember, oh, yes, isn't that a lovely little anecdote about Teddy Goodwin or, or whoever? Because um, you grew up with them in the 70s, I mm. suppose, and it's just a wonderful thing. And to read a book where it takes a bit, a bit like reading Hugh Lunds over the top with Jim, which is takes you back to a time when you were growing up, not necessarily in Brisbane, but growing up, and it just takes you back to that. that that's what I suppose that's what you wanted to do, was it? Yeah, well, it's simple things. It, for me, it was catching the train to go to the games. Yeah, g'day, Macca. It's Matt from Gordon. G'day, Matt. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. We're just heading from, uh, I'm just taking my son we, uh, to Tullamarine Airport to see a couple of planes take off and then we're going to head home. So this, oh, this is Gordon in, um, in Melbourne, not Gordon in Sydney? No, Gordon in Victoria, out near Ballarat. Oh, wow, there you go. So you draw, that's a, I love watching planes take off. I suppose you've done this before, Marky. Uh, it's Matt. No, Matt, I haven't. Sorry. Um, my son's uh, been nagging me. For a couple of weeks now, but and then I, I didn't want to do it. But then I remembered when I was a kid, my dad took me to the airport, <laughs> so I thought. So we we got up at five o'clock this morning, and we've been dodging all the. Uh, we, we've survived the Western Highway. Oh dear, bad is it? Bad way. Yeah, the road's a little bit rough. Mm. We we decided we're going to get some t-shirts made up that we'd survived the Western Highway between Gordon and Melbourne. <laughs> Oh dear, they are. A bit, it's yeah. There's nothing I can say really about the roads. I'm just a shame the the weather's just uh, knocked them, and maybe they're not put together as well as they used to be. I don't know, but but look, a lot more rain, a lot more traffic these days, isn't there? You know, that's the story I think with them. Yeah, it's getting a bit tough. We're, we were debating on whether to load up the trailer full of a bit of crushed rock and a couple of the kids from school and see if we could get out there and fix a few. <laughs> Uh, so you're going, you're, you're heading to Tullamarine to watch planes take off. I think that's a lovely thing to do. They're, it's ama- oh, I just think it's amazing watching planes lift off and float in. And, and when you watch them from a distance, they look like, I remember the first time I saw a jumbo jet, it looked like it was hardly moving. It was floating in and I thought, look at that big thing. And it's hardly, but of course it was going, but they just give you the sense that they're just floating and hardly doing, you know, you think you'd run alongside it. Yeah, yep. When I was a kid, they used to have at Tullamarina observation deck where you could go outside and watch them. I think they had some binoculars, um, but I believe they closed it. So we've, we've been kicked out to the car park out near Buller. <laughs> oh, well, it's still a good morning, mate, and a great thing to do. How's things in Ballarat, or Gordon particularly? Yeah, a bit wet. It's been raining. I, I started to build a boat. I thought um, after 40 days of rain, I thought I'd better start building a boat. So that's, uh, yeah. Well, it should stop on most places, like where we had, you know, heaps of rain, and, and now it's stopped for the last two or three weeks. It's almost, you've got to start watering again. Who'd have believed that? Yeah, well, we, they didn't give us much time this year. We've only got, I think, uh, till the 19th to burn off. So it's going to make it interesting when, um, when the heat picks up. Because at the moment we can't burn anything because it's too wet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, all right. Uh, so, Matty, um, what do you do for a living? Um, I actually don't work at the moment. I had a, a fall a couple of years ago and broke my back, so I've been off work since uh, 2018, I think. All right. Is it going to get better? Is it getting better, or what's the story? Um, 
yeah, it's, it's probably as good as it's ever going to get. I can still walk and I'm mobile. I just can't do a lot of the stuff. I was in the construction industry, so. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, maybe you uh, yeah, find another another avenue, mate, where you don't have to, yeah. Because hard well, work is hard work, isn't it? <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yeah. I, I'm just going for father, father of the year now. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right, mate. Well, nice to talk to you and, uh, yeah, enjoy that. No dramas. Thanks, Macca. Pleasure. Good on you. Hey, say good day to Bernie too. Bernie, Bernie, Bernie. Bernie from Werribee. From Werribee. Bernie and Kathy. <laughs> All right. Good morning, Ian. Good morning. It's Michael here. I'm just calling from Milchura. Um, You caught me off guard there. I All just right. want to say good morning and compliments of the season to you and all your listeners. Thanks, Michael. Um, talking about funny transport company names earlier that you were. Mm-hmm. A friend of mine used to run a little operation and it was called Someone Else's Transport. <laughs> and the slogan for the for the business was, if you can't handle it, get someone else. <laughs> so, Michael, where are you? Um, I'm at Baronga or Mildura. Uh-huh. There you go. Where the, where the sun's just rising along with the river. Oh, see, yeah, I bet it is. Still tell coming me. up here, yeah. Tell me. It's probably risen about another 10 centimetres over the last... Two days, I think. Yeah, it hasn't peaked anyway. No, it'll be. It's going all down the river. I mean, people are waiting, I suppose, aren't they? Yeah. No. Well, Brenmark's going to get it next, I think. But it still hasn't peaked here, and then obviously you've still got a power of water coming down the Darling, so that's going to hold the Murray up. So it'll probably come up more. Though I'm not sure how high it's going to get to, but it's it's becoming a bit of a worry now. And I wonder what does what happens with this? Is the snow melted? Is that all gone, or what's the story there? Well, I'm not sure, Mac. I've listened to some of the weather gurus. Most of the snow, they say, tends to evaporate rather than end up in the river systems. Well, I guess I suppose it depends on the temperature. If it gets really warm quickly, I suppose it'll melt and all end up in there. But I think the Menindee Lakes are at 120% and they're letting a fair bit of water out and everyone else is doing the same thing. So it all ends up here in Mildura. Which <laughs> it's, the la- it's sort of like the last the last outlet, isn't it, with all the rivers come in from the Murray-Darling Basin and then they end up here. And the amazing thing, I was looking at the map because I remember studying, well, not studying because I didn't study in primary school, but one of our teachers talked about the rivers. You know, we used to talk about the rivers um, mm. uh, and, and the Lachlan. And the Lachlan's a mighty river. When you look at the length of it, it's a big river, the Lachlan, isn't it? For sure. And, like, for the country that it, it covers... And then, like the Gemalong Weir, it's all it's full now. So I've got I've got family live at Hilston, and they're preparing for you know the flood conditions up there already. It's just everywhere you look, like Bal Ranald, the Murrumbidgee, Hay, right through the you know the Riverina. It's everything's just full to the brim. So hopefully we won't get any more rain in the near future. No, it's a pain in the neck. But yeah, it seems to have gone where I am. But um, they said it was going to rain till the end of summer, didn't they? At, at one stage there, I think that was. What I heard that there was going to be rain till the end of summer or end of April, so I don't know. Anyway, we'll fingers just... crossed, we won't get too much. We won't get too much more. We certainly don't need it at the moment. People are trying to harvest all their crops around the place, and they're just getting their headers bogged everywhere. Yes, exactly. Michael, what do you do? Um, I work for an earth moving um, civil and mining earth moving company. And you're busy? Uh, yeah, we're doing the. We're working on the new power line contract that's going across from Wagga to South Australia, so it's busy. And where's the power coming from, South Australia or from Wagga? Not sure. <laughs> Which way is it going? Which way is it going? That's what I, I want think to it's going from west, east to west. Yeah, I'd say so, yeah. 
Anyway, um, that's an all. It's all very interesting. All the power thing, isn't it? Energy and stuff. Very interesting. Oh, very much. To so. see what's so. going to happen in the future. Who knows? I don't think anyone knows. Big uh, project. This one. There's there's quite a few people involved, but no, it's a good thing. Yeah, it's good well, for the country. Yeah, Michael. Nice to talk to you, mate. And uh, yeah, I hope it uh, doesn't rise too much. But we'll just have to wait and see, won't we? Good on you, mate. Good to chat. Yeah, you too, Michael. Thank you. All the best of Christmas. See you, mate. See you, mate. Bye. Michael's near Renmark. Good morning, Michael. Good morning from your roving weather reporter, um, Black and White Transport. Oh, right. There you go, Michael. Where are I'm, you? Uh, actually, I'm actually literally just going across the bridge of the River Murray. Uh-huh. As, can you hear it in the background? That's the clearly clack, clearly clack. Maybe not. No, <laughs> maybe not. Yep. Tell me. It is pretty high. Wow. It's first time up to the Riverland. To, um, I wasn't really coming up here to see the floods. I was actually driving to Sydney for the last uh, 36 hours to pick up two Dalmatians, and I'm heading back to Adelaide. I see. Uh, and how much does a couple of Dalmatians cost you? Um, oh, I got a good price, $1,000 for the pair. Oh, wow. Well, that's pretty... Well, that's cheap, isn't it, for a dog, really? Yeah, yes, but they're, um, they're they're built like Clydesdales. They're huge and very strong. <laughs> and why? And, and you, they're your dogs. You're buying them? Yeah, um, I have. Um, I had two Dalmatians uh, several years ago, and one passed away. And I've got one girl who's 14 years old, who's probably not going to see 2023 out. And um, I've been meaning to look for a Dalmatian for the last year and a half, and um, this came up, and I thought. Friday night, I left work, drove all the all night to Sydney, and uh, got to Sydney at about eleven o'clock in the morning. Turned around, did the exchange, and loaded the dogs up and drove back. And you're crossing the Murray now, where at Renmark? Uh, yeah, Peringa, just between the uh, quarantine station and um, on the Sturt Highway and uh, Renmark. And there's a lot of wa- lot of water around. Oh yeah, it's a lot of water actually, uh, Macca. You know. I, just before Paringa, there's an elevated view of um, the lowlands. And, um, you know, I could imagine those who drive up to Lake Eyre and sit in the flood. Um, I don't come up here very often, but I do know that this, this area is very dry. It's amazing to see the water, how high it is up against the road. Even up at um, Houston, um, outside, uh, what's that, uh, Robinvale, mm. um, gosh, the, the height of the water level is quite remarkable. It is a once-in-a-lifetime journey just to experience it. And how's the road been from Adelaide? Shocking. Back? Yeah. It's awful. <laughs> oh, since I got him back to South Australia, the road's improved. But, God, the roads between um, Narandra, Hay, um, Val Reynolds, I hate to be a truck driver. Yeah. Ugh, shocking. Yeah, I well, don't know how they do it at night. And a lot of the road uh, speeds have been limited. You know, usually it's 100 or 110, but they've been limited to 80 and... and and even then, if you're driving an 80, you probably, you know, probably need to slow down even more. There's, uh, there's just, I couldn't believe in New South Wales how many soft spots were on the left-hand side that you just um, have been left as potholes. One, one was so big, I swore I thought I hit a kangaroo. It was so loud. Yeah, well, the edges, see, the, the roads aren't built like... And I suppose they're not built uh, for these times. You know, as I said, I think... Uh, the roads are in a terrible state, but it's because there's been a big rain event. 
they don't they probably weren't made as well as they were in other times and also um uh, more and more traffic rain and traffic and yeah construction yeah there was a section of um outside Narandra I, they were uh, rebuilding both lanes and they had a pilot vehicle to drive you through one at a time uh, one lane at a time and even the repair job was was in my eyes, substandard. I just couldn't believe it. Well, this it, is, it's it, a shame for the drivers. Or the truck drivers just have to put up with it. It's their mobile office. It's not a pleasant office to be working in. No. Well, see, they're they're rushing. They're trying to repair this. There's holes everywhere, and people are just rushing around trying to fill them. And you know, it's just a stopgap. That's all you can do. And the more you get, more and more, and it becomes harder and harder. I've, I've got great uh, sympathy for people who are trying to repair the roads, mate, because as fa- faster they do one, another one appears down the road. Now, didn't you say last week or was it the week before that you were having a conversation with someone up around the River Murray and the mosquitoes? Yeah, we were talking about... We've been talking so, about mosquitoes and potholes for the last two months, yeah. So, you're, so, you know, it's very difficult to drive all night, isn't it? You just have to stop eventually. And, of course, you've got to pull over to the side of the, the rest stops. So I did that a couple of times on the way back. I just could not push all the way through back from Sydney... Because I've virtually been on the road since uh, seven o'clock Friday night. Wow! Non-stop. Well, yeah, take it easy, yeah. And uh, so I decided that you know I'm driving back through hay, and because you know that section with kangaroos is just horrendous, particularly at sunset. And um, so I decided that as soon as I got to Bowround, I started taking uh, quick naps of fifteen minutes, half an hour. I pulled over, opened the windows up, so the dogs got some air. But gosh, the mosquitoes! Ugh. <laughs> <Closing> <laughs> I, have a, I have a I have a towel on my front on the front seat here, and I keep swatting the uh, the mosquitoes because they just come out of all the cracks and nooks. Um, uh, yeah. yeah, you'll have to you know you'll have to get some red or whatever they do, mate, or a mosquito coil or something in the car. I don't know how you do that, Michael, but yeah, good luck and good luck with your Dalmatians, mate. Nice to talk to you. You too. Thanks, all the best. Merry Christmas. G'day, this is Macca. G'day, Macca. G'day. It's Yvonne here, and I'm standing in the phone booth looking at the Sturt Highway and wishing you happy birthday for next Saturday. Oh, Yvonne, thank you. Whereabouts are you, Yvonne? I'm, I'm at Barmara on the Sturt Highway in uh-huh. the Riverland of South Australia. Uh-huh. And um, while I no longer live where I used to live, I used to live at Pelican Point Nudist Resort, but after 31 years, we've finally sold, and now we're retired, and, oh, there goes a big truck. Uh, we've we've moved into into the township of Barmara, so we're now called Townies. All right, there you go. So are you near the river where you are in your phone box? Um, well, Barmara has a lake, and uh, it's... There's a creek that runs into Lake Bonnie, mm-hmm. uh, Chambers Creek, and that runs off the River Murray. Um, but just recently, uh, the the lake has been cut off from the system um, by a sand sandbar at Chambers Creek, so the lake shouldn't flood, no. and and Barmara should be safe. But Renmark, um, Lirup, Wakery, Loxton, 
Blanchetown, all of those towns in the are gun. going to cop it. In the gun, And yeah. there's flooding at Manham. Uh, uh, another truck going by. Well, that's what will happen uh, on the whole. So, so the worst, the worst of the um, flooding is about to hit Renmark, is my understanding. Now, tell tell Australia about this nudist resort, uh, Yvonne. You lived there for a good while. You weren't. Yes. Uh, you're not. You're. Uh, you're not a a hardened nudist, are you? No, softened now. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> We were, yes, yes. Um, we we built the place from um, a vineyard, so when we took over, there weren't any buildings, so we had to go through um, South Australian Planning Commission to get to get permission to to build our caravan park. And it's on the and it's on the creek. Uh, no, on Lake Bonnie. On Lake Bonnie, yeah. Yes. There you go. So. Um, and uh, what, nudists, but basically it's a nudist caravan park, is it? Yes, yes, so it's a niche market, niche. yes. Yeah, and we used to close for winter because, well... It's cold, yeah. Too cold, cold yes. yes. Put your duds on, yeah. That's uh, right, uh, yes, and uh, and we were dressed all of the time through winter and um, maintaining the property. So um, what was that like? What was it like? You know, you've you've moved into town now and put your clothes on, I assume. Yes, um, yes. <laughs> but um, yeah, is nudism? I mean, it was it was all the rage, you know, years ago. But is it still? It was. Is it still popular nudism? Um, I mean, they do that nude swim on the beach. They do one in Hobart. There was one at Bondi, I think. Um, but I don't yes. know. It's, I think there was one just recently on TV. Yeah, um, there was there, but. Um, what I'm asking you is, is nudism still, I mean, is your caravan park thriving or is people... That... Um, no, it's pro- it, well, it probably isn't thriving at present because the new owner has... Um, Put his clothes on. Deci- deci- no. <laughs> ...decided to close it for, for six months, well six months from August, mm. um, in order to put in a pool and make some changes. All oh, right, yeah. But I don't think he'll need a pool at the moment because the water, the lake was coming up. Um, yeah. Yeah. And yesterday we were in Berry and uh, along the riverfront and um, it's very close to perhaps coming over the road. Mm, well, there's a bit more water on the way too, uh, Yvonne. So, um, and you're in a phone box this morning, Yvonne, aren't you? I am. Yes, and I, I, I'm wishing you happy birthday well, for thank, next Saturday. Thank you very much, and uh, um, yeah, good luck in town. And uh, it'll be a bit of a, you know, it'll be hard to get used to wearing your duds around the place, but um, you'll get used yes, to it. Yes, when Yvonne. it's hot, but yeah. we have got a fairly private backyard. <laughs> mm. Well, I won't mm. say where you live. People will be looking over the fence, Yvonne. Um, <laughs> well, we have got a block of flats behind oh, us. Oh, <laughs> dear, oh, dear, dear, oh, dear. <laughs> but well, we've got a big shady tree in the backyard, so that's good. Yeah, I'll say. Garden's a great place to be. Nice, yes, yes. Good, nice to talk to you, Yvonne. Thank you. And we've planted lots of native native uh, shrubs in the front garden so that we'll still get some birds. Oh, that's the way. Because we're, we're, missing, we're missing all the birds that we used to have. And uh, just recently, we had a magpie come in the house. Wow. Uh, my husband that's had the happen. door open. Oh, and that'll happen. That'll happen. That'll happen. Yeah, yeah, but um, the, the magpie took fright and, uh, and the 
left its calling card in a oh, few dear. places, so we thought, well, well, we better not leave the door open anymore. Uh, good on you, Yvonne. Nice to talk to you. Thank you. Have a happy birthday. Thank and you. Happy bye. Christmas and Merry New Year. Uh, Cheers. See you. Bye. This is the All Over News. This is the All Over News, and in this era of fake news, let me take you back to 1967. It is feared that the Prime Minister has drowned. A great search is being made for Mr Holtoff Potsy, Victoria. However, no official announcement has been made as to the fate of the Prime Minister. Mr Holt went for a swim shortly after noon with a friend, Mr Alan Stewart, a quarantine officer from the Melbourne suburb of Armadale. They swam out into heavy surf on the ocean side of the Mornington Peninsula. Mr Stewart told police he saw the Prime Minister dive, but he failed to resurface. Nice to hear the voice of Rod McNeil. And from our weather correspondent, Richard Whitaker, he says, we're coming up into the 55th anniversary of the disappearance of Prime Minister Harold Holt the 17th of December, 1967. And this was the headline. The Prime Minister is missing, believed drowned. He disappeared in heavy surf off Port Seas Ocean Beach soon after midday yesterday and late last night had not been found. That was in the age, the 18th of December, 1967. Richard writes, December 67 had produced some wild weather across southeast Australia. On the 14th, the Sydney suburb of Mossman experienced a rare event, a tornado that resulted in extensive local damage. Further south, over Victoria and Tasmania, strong westerly winds and a series of passing cold fronts had produced rough seas through Bass Strait and along the south coast of Victoria from the 14th to the 17th of December. And it was this weather feature, not the tornado, that was to have a profound effect on Australia's political landscape. Sunday, the 17th of December, 1967, was a hot, humid and blustery Melbourne day, and many people, including the 18th Prime Minister of Australia, the Honourable Harold Holt, headed off to the numerous bayside beaches to escape the early summer heat. Holt had flown into Melbourne from Canberra on the previous Friday in his VIP aircraft. After spending Saturday with friends at Portsea, he'd driven his Pontiac Parisienne down to nearby Cheviot Beach with the idea of indulging in his favourite pastime, snorkelling. Several friends, including Marjorie Gillespie, her daughter Viner, and a young businessman, Alan Stewart, accompanied him. Although Holt was 59 years of age, he was a fit and competent swimmer, handicapped only by a slight shoulder injury he'd suffered as a young man. To improve his snorkelling performance, he told friends that he sometimes held his breath for extended periods during parliamentary sessions and could, in fact, do so for around two minutes. Very good for a man of his age. As soon as the party arrived at Cheviot Beach in the early afternoon, it was obvious that conditions were far from ideal. Westerly winds across Bass Strait during the previous 48 hours had resulted in rough seas at most Victorian surf beaches, and that afternoon, under the influence of the continuing winds, the seas were still very rough and choppy. The local Surf Life Saving Club had closed nearby Portsea Surf Beach to the public because of the adverse conditions, but Cheviot Beach was not patrolled. Anyone who so desired could swim there. 
The Mornington Peninsula, where Cheviot Beach is located, is in an immensely picturesque area that has attracted tourists in numbers since the 1880s. The northern side fronts onto the sheltered waters of Port Phillip Bay and for the most part experiences only benign sea conditions. However, the southern side, where both Portsea Surf Beach and Cheviot Beach are located, is open to the notoriously turbulent waters of Bass Strait. It frequently experiences rough seas and heavy swells as southwesterly winds originating from Antarctic latitudes sweep across southern Victoria. The local shoreline has a bad reputation for treacherous conditions, but Harold Holt, who snorkelled regularly in the area, claimed to friends that, I know this beach like the back of my hand, and had no hesitation about swimming in rough conditions. Despite the misgivings of his companions, Holt entered the water. Almost as soon as he left the shoreline, things began to go horribly wrong. Alan Stewart was clearly daunted by the turbulent waters, but remarked, If Mr Holt can take it, I'd better go in too. However, because of the fierce undertow, he didn't go out of his depth, but stayed within about ten metres of the shoreline. But Holt plunged straight in and began swimming away from the beach. Stewart later described to police how Holt had alternately swum and waded towards one of his favourite spearfishing spots, a pothole, described as being 30 yards by 50 yards, 40 feet deep, and opening at one end in a narrow rip, only 80 yards from the breakers. He then pushed off from the rock shelf towards the centre of the pothole and was last seen swimming strongly in the back flush of the surf, bursting over the area. His silver hair was soon lost to sight in the churning white of the foam produced by the rolling breakers. Marjorie Gillespie later remarked, It was like a leaf being taken out. It was so quick and so final. His companions along the shoreline became increasingly concerned as the minutes ticked by and he didn't reappear. Finally, it became apparent that something was terribly amiss and the alarm was raised. A Prime Minister missing in the surf was a totally unprecedented situation and produced utter consternation in official circles. A massive search and rescue operation was immediately organised. Police, military and civilian helicopters were sent to the area and Navy frogmen plunged into the surf all along the beach. In the meantime, the news was spreading like wildfire as radio stations suspended routine broadcasts to concentrate on the story. Large crowds had picked up the news on their portable radios at the beach and gathered in long lines along the Nepean Highway as police and military vehicles converged on the area. As hours passed and evening fell, it became increasingly obvious that Holt was unlikely to be found alive in the boiling surf. Australians watched the evening television news in stunned disbelief as the events of the day were reported, and they realised that their Prime Minister was missing, believed drowned. The massive air, sea and land search continued for the next week until it was accepted that Harold Holt was lost. His body was never found. Conspiracy theories abounded, including suicide, assassination, and even that he'd been taken aboard a Chinese submarine that was waiting offshore. However, a joint report by Commonwealth and Victorian Police submitted in January 1968 concluded that there has been no indication that the disappearance of the late Mr Holt was anything other than accidental. The report found that his last movements followed a routine domestic pattern. His demeanour had been normal and despite his knowledge of the beach, the turbulent conditions, high winds, rough seas and riptides overcame him. Several theories were advanced to explain the failure to find his body. These included a shark attack and the possibility that he could have become wedged in one of the numerous submarine rock crevices 
that abounded in the area, or simply taken far out to sea. The disappearance of a Prime Minister, presumably by drowning, changed the course of Australia's history and would be one of the very few examples, if indeed any others exist, of a head of state dying in this way. The Harold Holt tragedy, says Richard Whittaker, shows us that no matter how fit or strong we are, entering the surf as a swimmer in rough conditions can be very dangerous. If the beach in question is closed, don't enter the water. And if the beach is not patrolled, do not even contemplate doing so if conditions are rough. The ocean does not often grant second chances. And that's from our weather correspondent, Richard Whittaker. It was a big story back then for all Australians and for the news organisations. Could you imagine how it would be treated now? I mentioned last week, and we've been talking about it all year, really, Michael Menzies sent me an email and he said, Ian, 200 years ago, two Scottish engineers understood how to make good roads. Two centuries later, we rely on the legacy of these two engineers, Telford and McAdam. Some current-day road designers and maintainers seem to have forgotten about the basics. Where's, where's Telford and McAdam? But Jeff Stein's emailed and he says, Ian, the House of Representatives Standing Committee on Regional Development, Infrastructure and Transport will inquire into the implications of severe weather events on the national, regional, rural and remote road network. Chair of the committee, Mr Luke Gosling, OAM MP, said the inquiry will look at road engineering and construction standards to strengthen road resiliency against natural disasters, including the critical role of climate change trends and data to inform infrastructure standards. The committee is concerned about the increasing deterioration of the nation's road network, particularly in regional rural and remote areas. If you've driven country roads, and I know you have, you'll know what he means. And the terms of reference are, one, road engineering and construction standards required to enhance the resiliency of future road construction, identification of climate resilient corridors suitable for future road construction projects. I think that means building roads where it's not going to flood. Opportunities to enhance road resilience through the use of waterproof products in road construction. And Finally, any related issues. Yeah, it's all in there. Jeff concludes, I recently travelled to Orange, diverting around the damaged and flooded roads and the road from Cowra to Canoundra, which is a distance of 32 k's, and the speed had been restricted to 80 kilometres an hour. It's funny, isn't it? The things we take for granted, like decent roads, don't exist anymore and because of a weather event. And who's to say we're not going to get another weather event in five years' time? The weather is unpredictable and it has no memory. Is it Big Merv in Beulah? Is that right? Yep, yep. You got Big Merv here, Macca. How are you, Big Merv? Um, not too bad. How good's your memory? I last spoke to you in October 2007. You were sitting up at the Hopeton Show, and I rang you. I was over working on the Cape Levite Road just north of Broome. <laughs> um, I... I'd, I'd... Had you introduced yourself as Big Merv um, at the same I time? Rec- I reckon I, I reckon I did. Yes, yep. And uh, I was over there working. Like things were a bit quiet over this way, so I had a job yeah, dropping road trains over there, helping build the roads in between the Aboriginal communities and up to the absolute awesome spot of Cape Levite. Mm. But um, I'm now back home helping out a farmer over at Rosebury, which is between Hopeton and Beulah. Uh huh. And I'm at a grain receival place here in Beulah, um, about to tip a load of wheat off. Um, for the harvest, is it busy? And this actual gro- busy there? Uh, yes, it is. It's it's uh, um, yeah, it's busy here this morning. It's a busy place. Yeah. Um, this is a private receival place where I'm at at the moment, which oh. is next door to the gro- um, normal grain place. But 
Um, both places are fairly busy. Um, the season's not going too bad considering the amount of rain that we had. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, um, yeah, so we're, we're cutting wheat at the moment that's going about 24 bags to the acre, which is pretty good on the old scale. Um, yeah. So, uh, um, it's yeah, an exciting time. Merv, it's an exciting time. When I, I hear about people unloading their grain and harvesting and getting along, it's just, you know, and, and uh, what did... Uh, what did uh, Margot say about down at Wagga? They were making the pizzas and they took slices of pizzas out to all the truck. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Don't you, don't you wish you were there? Not just, to yeah. eat, not just to eat the pizza, but just to be part of all that. I just think it's just a wonderful yeah, thing. I've worked up around um, Maori and places like that up in um, uh, Maori, sorry, not Maori, Maori up in New South Wales um, during the grain season. And there's some of the little outback places you go to up there where there's only like, you know, three or four houses but a silo and somebody will open up a caravan in their front yard um, making hamburgers and things for all the truck drivers and the grain uh, harvest people. Um, and yeah, it, yeah, up near, Girl, really up near, good... near Gurley or somewhere. That's the one, yes. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I've had a few years up there carting grain and grain harvesting and, yeah. Oh, um, I've had nearly 40 years of driving trucks all over Australia, but this is a real busy time of the year involved in the harvest. Yeah, well, it's been a bugger of a year for some people, and they can't get on and all that sort of stuff. And Margot yes, broke, yes. broke the bolt in the uh, brand in the brand new harvester, which is called Princess Fiona. But yep. but it's you know I remember a bloke just said uh, he was driving. This is five ten years ago. He's driving back across, across from Perth. He said, "Mackie, you should see the lights at night." From all the, it was in yes. around November or December. He said, "You should see the lights." He said, "It's fantastic to drive across Australia at harvest time, and you see at night time you see them out there harvesting all night. It's just a." Uh, you know, it's a pizza time. It's a lovely time, Mervy. Uh, but look, I'm sorry, I don't remember that call. But um... no, that's fine. That's fine. But yeah, I'm, and yeah, no, that it was. And I actually, I was the last call he had for the day um, when I said where I was, and that I actually come from, you know, around the area where you were um, um, sending out your program from that day. So yeah. All right. Well, while, Merv... while I'm talking, I'm actually while I'm talking, I'm actually backing in on the bunker floor to tip a load of grain. Mm-hmm. I've got my headset on and. Mervy, uh, are you in fact a big, big bloke, or they just call you Big Merv? Yes, I you're, am. Curious, you're larger I'm than life. I'm a big boss, six foot, six foot two, and I've got the Merv used whiskers. That's where I get the nickname Merv. <laughs> All right, Big and, Merv. Great to talk to you, mate. Yep. Lovely, lovely. No worries. And happy birthday for next week. No, it's not on. That's cancer. You had it, she had it wrong. It's next year. All oh, right. Yeah. Well, happy birthday next year then. Yeah, yeah. Beauty. That sounds. That sounds. That's great. Next year, I'll 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 get in touch with you, and I'll tell you when it is, most so you can get me something appropriate. All right. That's the go. No worries. Oh, well, enjoy the rest of your day. But anyway, Brendan says hi from a willow. He sent an email from a willow tree. <clears throat> Myself and some mates are currently riding jet skis up the Murray from the Hume Weir, oh, overflowing to Corriong. A shallow area in the river resulted in me sucking up a river stone into my jet pump and my skis being disabled. I've drifted downstream and have landed in a willow tree in the middle of an island on the river. This is happening right now, ladies and gentlemen, even as we speak. I'm stuck here now waiting for my mates to find me. I've been here for 30 mins. This is uh, at 8, just after 8. I'm not concerned they'll be along soon. I'm not concerned, comma, they'll be along soon. So I'm listening to you on the radio at the moment in this beautiful part of the world. 
Your story on H. Holt in the treacherous water of Bass Strait prompted me to mention a lap we did of Bass Strait earlier this year. There's a newspaper link below. Love to listen to your show, even if I'm up a willow tree uh, for, many, for many years. <laughs> says Brendan Whitty. Thank you, Brendan. It's nice to... I've got a pile of them here. Now, my, as I mentioned, my, my guest is Jeff, Jeff Armstrong. He's a St George tragic, but he's a sport tragic. And I was just passing my desk, and Jim Maxwell, the cricket commentator, has got his stuff out there, and he's collected stuff from many years, booklets and programs of football and cricket. And and I come, I just saw this. I thought I'd bring it in because it's at the moment. It says, West Indies Cricket Tour, England, 1950. Price, sixpence. And there's a signature on the top, Clive. It's Clive Harburg. And who's Clive Harburg? He was an ABC great commentator. Had a voice like Menzies, they said. But people who might have heard the commentary of the last over of the famous Tide Test in Brisbane in uh, December. 61. 60, In fact, I'm not exactly sure what day, but the anniversary is either just gone or is just coming up for, what would that be, 62 years. Good morning, Frank Misson. And uh, Exactly. And uh, Clive called that over. Mm. And his famous uh, call, it was one of the, they were pros, the guys who called the cricket in those days. And I think he was in the commentary box with the great Johnny Moyes. Mm. And it's, it's great radio. And it's a very, very famous cricket tour because the, the West Indies went to England in 1950 and great cricketers like Frank Worrell and I'll Everton re- Weeks and I'll Sonny re- Rabinan. I'll read you the team. Uh, John Goddard. Uh, from Barbados as captain, Everton Weeks, Roy Marshall, Jerry uh, Jeffrey Stollemeyer, Ken Trestrail, Lance Pierre, Heinz Johnson, Alan Ray, Clyde Walcott, Frank Worrell, Cecil Williams, Jerry Gomez, remember him, Prior Jones, Sonny Ramadan, Alf Valentine, wow, and uh, Robert Cristiani and uh, J.M. Kidney, who's the manager. Uh, there you go. And they're a very good team, weren't they? Um, and look, it's not to knock the team now, but... But I think cricket has lost its way. I mean, in all sorts of ways. On the playing group, I think have lost their way. It seems to me, and and the, the administration of it. I mean, too much cricket, and I'm not sure that the West Indies should be playing in. You know, you want to see a competition, don't you? And when teams start scoring five and six hundred runs, I think it's time to question what's going on. In the old days, cricket teams on tour used to come together. Mm. So I mean, in the the old days, the England team would land in Perth and then play sh- games against all the states before the first test at the Gabba. Mm. If they take that away as they do now and teams just arrive and play straight away, that's very hard for them. And it's very, very hard for the West Indies, who are a collection of nations. Mm. And so to try and engender things like team spirit must be very, very difficult. And I think what we see with the West Indian team of today is when things go wrong, they go pear-shaped in a really bad way because they just haven't got that um, is it spirit, is it the right, right word, that gels them together. Mm. I still think they're talented. Mm. Um, and you, you do see some individual performances that they're, they're good. But mm. as a team, they just don't seem to come together. And when you've got a batsman like Labuschagne at the moment who's batting so well, he just destroys them. Mm. And it becomes too one-sided. And um, I, I just think, not... as I said, I think cricket's moved too far away from its past. And mm. I think it's done that to its detriment. I mean, a game's always got to be evolving. But if it evolves too quickly... Well, uh, you've got all these other things now, big bash leagues and yeah. the, you know, IPL and all that sort of stuff. And it's, there's no... And, and to me, 
they I don't look at the Australian and think they're playing for me. They're not Australian. They're just playing for themselves. And mm. whereas before it was a cricket, it's, it's a bit like in the same things happen in all sports. Really, it's it's a, a big money thing, and that's yeah. fine. They can go on, but they're not dragging me along. And and you just you move on, and you find yeah. other things to do and other things that interest you that that maybe you know. Um, sit with your values of life and how you should behave and stuff yeah. like that. So It's, you just it's interesting at the on. World Cup currently in Qatar, so many aspects of world football are removed from what it used to be, but the mm. football itself is still wonderful. Yes. And that's the thing that keeps it together and is making this tournament so attractive in some ways. Yeah. Cricket ha- doesn't have that. And that's what I, I think cricket needs to acknowledge that it's in a difficult place in a lot of ways uh, because if it doesn't do that, I'm not sure where the, go- the sport goes. Mm. Toby Gurness bringing Macca. Good day, Toby. Yeah, I was just thinking about national service. I, I was a 17th, 18th infantry battalion in Ingleburn in Ratty Hut. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think national service, I think they should bring it back in again. Yeah, well, you'd probably find it hard uh, to bring it back in as as it was. Um, but you, you're probably right. You look around the world and you see what a dangerous place it is and everybody's arcing up now and, and realising that uh, you've got to talk to other countries from a position of power. You can't... Yeah, well, it, it was a bit dangerous there too a couple of times because we were practising hand grenades mm. and a bloke pulled a pin and he said, what do I do with it? <laughs> <laughs> Toby, how old how, how old are you, Toby? I'm eighty eight. And and you went in when? Seventeenth, eighteenth infantry battalion. But what year? That, what year were you? Well, that would have been when I was seventeen, I'd say. Uh huh. So I'll work that out later. Um, but, <laughs> but so where are you, where do you live, Toby? Now I'm in Lakesland, mm. out of out of Picton. Uh huh. Well and Dilly Shire, where all the potholes are. Yeah, where all the. <laughs> No, that's ev- that's everywhere. That's oh, I know. That- oh, chugging it out, but, but never mind. Yeah. But yeah. they had another another incident where they, they had a Bren gun and the bloke turned around and he said, how do I turn it off? Oh, <laughs> Toby, I don't want to hear any more, but you had a good time in national service, obviously. Yeah, it wasn't too bad, yeah. 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 I, I, I won the best dressed man on platoon, and you know what the prize was? No, mate, yeah. The, the, the colonel's dog. I had to look after the dog for the day. <laughs> Good on <laughs> you, Tove. <laughs> great, great to talk to you, mate. Okay, Rucker. Nice to hear you. Yeah, you too, mate. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.